Chapter Thirteen of The Heart of the Ancient Wood by Sir Charles G. D. Roberts. Read for LibriVox.org by Sandra. Milking Time. Young Dave Titus was not without the rudiments of a knowledge of woman. Few as had been his opportunities for acquiring that rarest and most difficult of sciences, he made no second visit to the cabin in the clearing till he had kept Miranda many weeks wondering at his absence. Then, when the stalks were whitey-gray and the pumpkins gold and yellow in the cornfield, and the buckwheat patch was crisply brown and the scarlet of the maples was beginning to fade out along the forest edges, he came drifting back lazily one late afternoon, just as the slow dink-a-donk of the cowbells was beginning the mellow proclamation of milking time and sundown. The tonic chill of autumn in the wilderness opened caught his nostrils deliciously as he emerged from the warmer stillness of the woods. The smell, the sound of the cowbells, these were homely sweet after the day-long solitude of the trail. But the scene, the grey cabin lifted skyward on the gradual swell of the fields, was loneliness itself. The clearing seemed to Dave a little beautiful lost world, and it gave him an ache at the heart to think of the years that Miranda and Kirsty had dwelt in it alone. Just beyond the edge of the forest he came upon Kroof, grubbing and munching some wild roots. He spoke to her deferentially, but she swung her huge rump about and firmly ignored him. He was anxious to win the shrewd beast's favour, or at least her tolerance, both because she had stirred his imagination, and because he felt that her goodwill would be, in Miranda's eyes, a most convincing testimonial to his worth. But he wisely refrained from forcing himself upon her notice. "'Go slow, my son, go slow. It's a she, and more than likely you don't know just how to take her,' he muttered to himself after a fashion acquired in the interminable solitude of his camp. Leaving proof to her moroseness, he hastened up to the cabin, in hopes that he would be in time to help Kirsty and Miranda with the milking. Just before he got to the door he experienced a surprise— so far as he was capable of being surprised at anything which might take place in these unreal surroundings. From behind the cabin came Wapiti the buck, or perhaps a younger Wapiti, on whom the spirit of his sire had descended in double portion. Close after him came two does, sniffing doubtfully at the smell of a stranger on the air. To Wapiti, a stranger at the cabin, where such visitants were unheard of, must needs be an enemy, or at least a suspect. He stepped delicately out into the path, stamped his fine hoof in defiance, and lowered his armory of antlers. They were keen and hard, these October antlers, for this was the moon of battle, and he was ready. In rutting season, Wapiti was every inch a hero. Now Dave Titus well knew that this was no bluff of Wapiti's. He was amused and embarrassed. He could not fight this unexpected foe, for victory or defeat would be equally fatal to his hope of pleasing Miranda. As a consequence, here he was, Dave Titus, the noted hunter, the nimrod, held up by a rutting buck. Well, the trouble was of Miranda's making. She'd have to get him out of it. Facing the defiant Wapiti at a distance of five or six paces, he rested the butt of his rifle on his toe and sent a mellow, resonant, Hey-lo! Hello, echoing over the still air. The forest edges took it up, answering again and again. Kirsty and Miranda came to the door to see who gave the summons, and they understood the situation at a glance. 
Call off your dog, Mirandy, cried young Dave, and I'll come and pay ye a visit. He thinks you're going to hurt us, explained Kirsty, and Miranda, with a gay laugh, ran to the rescue. You mustn't frighten the good little boy, Wapiti, she cried, pushing the big deer out of her path and running to Dave's side. As soon as Wapiti saw Miranda with Dave, he comprehended that the stranger was not a foe. With a flourish of his horns, he stepped aside and led his herd off through the barnyard. Arriving at the door, where Kirsty, gracious but impassive, awaited him, Dave exclaimed, "'She's saved my life again, Kirsty, that girl o' yourn. First it's a painter, and now it's a rutting buck. Wonder what it'll be next time.' "'A rabbit, like as not, or a squirrel, maybe,' suggested Miranda unkindly. "'Whatever it be,' persisted Dave. Third time's luck for me, anyways. "'If you save my life again, Miranda, you'll have to take care of me altogether.' I'll get to kind of depend on you. Then I reckon, Dave, you'll get out of your next scrape by yourself, answered Miranda with discouraging decision. That's one on you, Dave, remarked Kirsty with a strictly neutral air. But behind Miranda's back, she shot him a look which said, Don't you mind what she says, she's all right in her heart, which indeed was far from being the case. Had Dave been so injudicious as to woo openly at this stage of Miranda's feelings, he would have been dismissed with speedy emphasis. Dave was in time to help with the milking, a process which he boyishly enjoyed. The cows, five of them, were by now lowing at the bars. Kirsty brought out three tin pails. "'You can help us if you like, Dave,' she cried. While Miranda looked her doubt of such a clumsy creature's capacity for the gentle art of milking. "'Can you milk?' she asked. "'Of course I can, though I haven't had much chance of late years to practice,' said Dave. "'Can you milk without hurting the cow? Are you sure? "'And can you draw off the strippings clean?' she persisted, manifestly sceptical. "'Try me,' said Dave. "'Let him take old Whitey, Miranda. "'He'll get through with her, maybe, while we're milking the others,' suggested Kirsty. "'Oh, well, anyone could milk Whitey,' assented Miranda and Dave, on his mettle, vowed within himself that he'd have old Whitey milked and milked dry and milked to her satisfaction before either Kirsty or Miranda was through with her first milker. He stroked the cow on the flank and scratched her belly gently, and established friendly relations with her before starting, and the elastic firmness of his strong hands chanced to suit Whitey's large teats. The animal eyed him with favour and gave down her milk affluently. As the full streams sounded more and more liquidly in his pail, Dave knew that he had the game in his hands, and took time to glance at his rivals. To his astonishment, there was Kroof standing up on her haunches close beside Miranda, her narrow red tongue lolling from her lazily open jaws while she watched the milky fountains with interest, while Kirsty's scarlet kerchiefed head was still pressed upon her milker's flank, and while Miranda was just beginning to draw off the rich strippings into a tin cup. Dave completed his task. His pail, he had milked the strippings in along with the rest, was foaming creamily to the brim. He arose and vaunted himself. Some day, when I've got lots of time, he drawled, I'll learn you two how to milk. You needn't think you're done already, retorted Miranda without looking up. I'll get a quart more out of old Whitey soon as I'm through here. But Kirsty came over and looked at the pail. No, you won't, Miranda, not this time, she exclaimed. Dave's beaten us sure. Old Whitey never gave us a fuller pail in her life. Dave, you can milk. You go and milk Michael over there, the black and white one for me. 
I'll leave you and Miranda if you won't fall out to finish up here while I go and get an extra good supper for you so's you'll come again soon. I know you men keep your hearts in your stomachs. Just where we women know how to reach them easily. Where'd we have been if the Lord hadn't made us cooks? Such unwanted pleasantry on the part of her sombre mother proved to Miranda that Dave was much in her graces, and she felt moved to a greater austerity in order that she might keep the balance true. Throughout the rest of the milking she answered all Dave's attempts at conversation with briefest yes or no, and presently reduced him to a discouraged silence. During supper, which consisted of fresh trout fried in cornmeal and golden-hot johnny-cake with red molasses and eggs fried with tomatoes and sweet curds with clotted cream, all in a perfection to justify Kirsty's promise, Miranda relented a little and talked freely. But Dave had been too much subdued to readily regain his cheer. It was just his tongue now that knew but yes and no. Confronted by this result of her unkindness, Miranda's sympathetic heart softened. Turning in her seat to slip a piece of johnny cake drenched in molasses into the expectant mouth of Kroof, who sat up beside her, she spoke to Dave in a tone whose sweetness thrilled him to the fingertips. The instinct of coquetry, native and not unknown to the furtive folk themselves, was beginning to stir with Miranda's untaught heart. "'I'm going down to the lake tonight, Dave,' she said, "'to set a night line and see if I can catch a tog. "'There's a full moon, and the lake will be worth looking at. "'Won't you come along with us?' "'Won't I, Miranda? "'Couldn't think of nothing I'd like better,' was the eager response. "'We'll start soon as ever we get the dishes washed up,' explained the girl. "'And you can help us at that. "'What say, Mother?' "'Certainly Dave can help us,' answered Kirsty. If you have the nerve to set the likes of him at woman's work, but I reckon I won't go with you tonight to the lake. Proof and Dave will be enough to look after you. I'll look after Dave more like, exclaimed Miranda scornfully, remembering both Wapiti and the panther. But what's the matter, mother? Do come. It won't be the same without you. Seems to me I'm tired tonight, kind of, and I just want to stay at home by the fire and think. Miranda sprang up with concern in her face and ran round to her mother's seat. "'Tired, mother,' she cried, scanning her features anxiously. "'Who ever heard of people like you and me who are strong and live right being tired? "'I'm afraid you're not well, mother. I won't go one step.' "'Yes, you will, dearie,' answered her mother, and never yet had Miranda rebelled against that firm note in Kirsty's voice. "'I really want to be alone tonight a bit and think.' Dave's visit has stirred up a lot of old thoughts, and I want to take a look at them. I reckon they were dead and buried years ago. Are you sure you're not sick, mother? went on Miranda, hesitatingly returning to her seat. No, child, I'm not sick. But I have felt tired off and on the last few days when there was no call to. I do begin to feel that this big solitude of the woods is wearing on me some way. I've stood up under it all these years, Dave, and it's given me peace and strength when I needed it bad enough, God knows. But some way, I reckon it's too big for me, and will crush me in the long run. I love the clearing, but I don't just want to end my days here. Mother, cried Miranda, springing up again, I never heard you talk so before in my life. Leave the clearing? Leave the woods? I couldn't live. I just couldn't anywhere else at all. There's other places, Miranda, murmured Dave, but Kirsty continued the argument. It's a slight different with you, child, she said thoughtfully. You've grown up here. The woods and the sky have made you. They're in your blood. You live and breathe them. 
You were a queer baby, more a fairy or a wild thing than a human youngster, before ever you came to the clearing, and all the wild things seem to think you're one of themselves. And you see what other folks can't see, what the folks of the woods themselves can't see. Oh, yes, it's a slight different with you, Miranda. Your father used to watch you and say you'd grow up to be a fawn woman or wood goddess, or else the fairies would carry you off. This place is all right for you, and I used to think I was that big and strong a spirit that I could stand up to it all the rest of my life. But I begin to think it's too big for me. I don't want to die here, Miranda. Miranda stared at her, greatly troubled. "'You won't die till I'm old enough to die too, Mother,' she cried, "'for I just couldn't live without you one day.' "'But,' she added passionately, "'I know I should die quick, right off, if I had to go away from the clearing. "'I know I would.' "'She spoke with the fiercer positiveness, "'because just as she was speaking there came over her a doubt of her own words.' In a flash she saw herself growing old here in the vast solitude, she and Kirsty together, and no one else anywhere to be seen. The figure so cruelly conspicuous in its absence bore a strange dim likeness to young Dave. She did not ask herself if it were possible that she could one day wish to desert the clearing, and the stillnesses and all the folk of the ancient wood, but somewhere, at the back of her heart, she felt that it might even be so, and her heart contracted poignantly. She ran and flung both arms about Kroof's neck and wiped a stealthy tear on the shaggy coat. Dave, with a quickening intuition born of his dread lest the trip to the lake should fall through, saw that the conversation was treading dangerous ground. He discreetly changed the subject to Johnny Cake. End of chapter 13 Read by Sandra This recording is in the public domain.